children head out to children's church. We would encourage you to remain standing if you're able as we read the Word of God. We're going to be in Ezekiel 33. We're going to be finishing up that chapter today, so we're going to be reading verses 30 through 33. There's a lot of threes there. I'll try to get through it without spitting too much. Um, But as they are heading out the door, God love them. Again, I absolutely love the noise. You guys saw me, if you could see me, wrestling my son out from underneath the pew. Like I said, there's nothing your children can do that my kid hasn't done worse. So... Nothing to worry about there. Ezekiel chapter 33, starting in verse 30, says this. It says, But as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes from the Lord. They come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouths, and their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. So when it comes to pass, as it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. Please be seated. If a stranger was to ask you, why do you go to church? What would you say? Have you ever thought about it for a moment? We live in a day and age where there are indeed scores of people that are all around us that not only do not go to church, but have never gone to church. They have never attended a church service. They've never really hung out with anybody who attended a church service. They may have darkened the doors in a a church building at some point to go to maybe a vacation Bible school or maybe a youth group or, or some sort of event. But not once ever in their lives have they ever shown up at a church to attend a worship service. What would you say? Some of us, if we're being really honest, especially if we were maybe caught off guard and, and just kind of came the first thing that came to, the, said the first thing that came to mind. If someone were to ask us, why do you go to church? Some of us undoubtedly would say that we were raised to make that a priority. That is just something we would say. That's just something I've always done. My, my mom and dad always took me to church as a young person and I just don't feel right if I don't go to church on Sunday. This is kind of an appeal to tradition. Why do you do this? Because I always have. Some of you may say that you come because that's where your friends and and, and really indeed your church family is. You go there because you see maybe literally your family, your, your kids and your grandkids, your grandparents, your parents. And so you come because of family. Some of you, it's because of church, because of your friends. These are the people that you hang out with. When you call someone on the phone, when you enjoy a dinner together, when you are hanging out with your peeps, They're in this room, and you are not going to miss out on an opportunity to see those people. It's a relationship thing. I go to church because that's where my people are. Some of you may come because you feel better after going to church. And you'll say, well, I go to church because because it just helps me start the week off right, and I always feel so good going out of, you know, when I leave church. 
It's an encouragement thing. It does, an, it, it does something for my health and my state of mind. It's an emotional um, uh, uh, benefit to me, and I feel more emotionally and even maybe physically healthy if I start my week off going to church. Some of you may be, be honest, and when they say, why do you go to church, you might say, because I like the music. I enjoy being there, and I enjoy the music. I enjoy the songs. I enjoy the singing and the, and, and the playing of the music. And, and some may even say, I enjoy the preaching. That the person, I know, laugh, yeah, who, who would say that? Not here. But you might say, I enjoy the preaching. I think my preacher has a lot of entertaining things to say. He's, he's funny sometimes, usually when he doesn't intend to be. And, and, uh, and often he, he brings out good points. And I always just find myself captivated and entertained by the preaching. All of these things, I want you to understand this. All of these things are good reasons to go to church. And we are thrilled that you are here. And so if you would say, yeah, I would say that one, or I would say that one, or maybe in the certain context or the right person, I would say this one. Those are all fine reasons to go to church. And if that's what helps you get out of, of bed in the morning and attend church, then, then more power to you. But let's say for a moment that the person who asked this question was actually looking for a reason to go to church. They wanted to understand what motivates a person to go to church. Why do you go to church? Why should I go to church to try it for the very first time? You might say tradition. I've always gone and, and that's just part of my, my, my life and the flow of, of my week. But they might say, well, that doesn't really answer the question for me because it's not a tradition of mine. It's not something I grew up doing. And, and maybe even that makes it even more scarier to them because they think if all of these people have been doing this church thing, this Jesus thing their whole life, they're going to know what to do and I'm not. If you said relationships and I'm there because my friends are there and my family are there, they may say, well, my friends and family are not there. In fact, if I wanted to spend time with my friends or with my family, I could do that just about anywhere that instead of church, church is not needed for me to spend time with my friends. I can go to have lunch with my friends. We can all go golfing. I can go golfing with my friends. I can just go get, call them up on the phone and enjoy some time with them. Church isn't needed for that. In fact, my, most of my relationships are apart from church. If we say encouragement, we go because we feel better and it helps us to start the week off right. They may say, well, I can get encouragement from my mom. She'll tell me what a good boy I am and, 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 how, and, and how handsome I am. I can go to a counselor and he can help me process through things and put myself in a better emotional health. You know, why, again, why church? I don't really need church for this kind of encouragement when I have friends and, and family and or I can go seek professional help. If you say music or even the message, they may say, well, there's great music. It may be even better music than you can find at a church just about everywhere. I can go catch a concert at the Bourbon Barrel Tavern. I can go up to Louisville for a show. I can just turn on YouTube or, or, or my iTunes or my Spotify and listen to fantastic music by, played by world-renowned artists. And if I want a speaker, if I want to feel motivated or entertained by that, I could go to again, go to YouTube. 
Visit the University of Louisville when they have a guest speaker. Put on a TED Talk. And I can be motivated and stirred up and feel great by probably a speaker far better than what I can find locally. The question that is behind all of this is what does the church have that I can't find in the world? What would you say? If the unbeliever, the person who's never set foot in a church, who's never, never known this world or this life, they said, what do I find in the church that I cannot find in the world? I believe this passage answers that question. And what's even more interesting about it is I think that Israel has missed it entirely. As we uh, jump into this passage, we find God in the middle of kind of a discourse with Ezekiel. And he's, talk, he's talking about two different groups. He's talking about the, the Jews and the Israelites that are still living in Jerusalem. And then specifically in our passage today, he's talking about the ones that live around Ezekiel. The, the, he's talking about the actual exiles that are living you know, on the, by the river in Babylon. And, and he's addressing Ezekiel. And really, to be completely honest, we have no way of knowing, apart from the fact that Ezekiel wrote it, whether this was something that, that he was going to actually proclaim or not. This is really something that, that God is saying to Ezekiel for Ezekiel's benefit and Ezekiel's understanding. However, because he wrote it down and we have it here with us today, we begin to have a much better understanding of maybe what we should learn today in light of what we see from the exiles in Babylon. If you remember... Ezekiel has been warning the people for quite some time that God was about that, that God was not about to restore Israel, but rather that he was uh, he was about to destroy Jerusalem. In fact, if you look to verse twenty one, we'll see that Ezekiel's prophecy had just come to fruition. Turn your page in your Bible just one second, and you see these words. It says, "Now in the twelfth year of our exile, on the fifth of the tenth month." The refugees from Jerusalem came to me saying, the city has been taken. So you got to figure, we are in chapter 33. We have spent over 30 chapters of God speaking through Ezekiel, most of them pointing to the fact that because of Israel's sin and rebellion, the city of Jerusalem was going to be completely annihilated and that he was going to just strip it totally bare. There was going to be nothing left of the city. And then God would begin to build up Jerusalem again. They have been hearing this for who knows how long. Days, weeks, months, even years of this message from Ezekiel. And lo and behold, it has come to pass. And see, the people that lived around Ezekiel, they'd been hearing all of it. They'd even been seeing all of this crazy stuff he had done. Digging holes in walls, packing up like he's in exile, doing all sorts of, of, of crazy things, even to the point that when his wife dies, he doesn't mourn for her in light of everything that's happening. And finally, after everything becomes real and everything has been confirmed, the people are now very interested in what Ezekiel has to say. They recognize the fact that his prophecies have come to pass, and that means that he is, in fact, a tested, tried, and true prophet of God. 
This is what Ezekiel is talking about in verse 30. When it says these things, that the, they, were, they, were, they were standing by the wall and by the door saying, hey, let's go listen to this prophet of the Lord. God, in his sovereignty and his omniscience and omnipresence, he, he um, recognizes that the people who live around Ezekiel are going, hey, did you hear about all that weird stuff that Ezekiel had said and done has actually come to pass? Wow, that's crazy. I just thought he was nuts. I know, but everything he said is true. Well, what do you think he's going to say next? I don't know. Let's go find out. And so people were coming to Ezekiel because they wanted to see what he might say that might come to pass next. This is probably the first time in all of Ezekiel's ministry where he is actually popular. Yes, he's had a room full of the elders, but they were there out of obligation. Yes, he's been heard, and make no mistake, he's been talked about a lot. But this is the first time where people are really, truly gathering to Ezekiel to hear what he has to say. But we need to recognize that numbers do not necessarily mean that ministry is successful according to God's standards. See, a lot of people wanted to hear what Ezekiel had to say. But that doesn't mean that God is pleased with their actions or behaviors. We actually see this happen not only in Ezekiel's life, but also in the life of Jesus. If we go to John chapter 6, we find that this is an event that's happened right after Jesus has fed the 5,000. So imagine for just a moment, you are a poor, everyday, run-of-the-mill Israelite Jewish person living in the Galilee area. You don't have a lot of money. You might have a trade, you might have a farm, but you don't have a lot of stuff. And you work very hard just to survive. And then suddenly you go hear this itinerant preacher, this rabbi, go do his thing. And after he's done speaking, he suddenly feeds you until you are completely satisfied and you recognize that there is no way he had enough food to feed you that he's done something amazing. And the result of whatever he has done is a full belly for you and you didn't have to pay a dime for it. Picking up in verse 24 of John chapter 6, we read this. It says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor the disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Jesus' ministry looked like it was doing great and that he was popular and that he was making a difference for the kingdom, but the reality was is they just wanted fed. And I don't mean spiritually fed, I mean physically fed. Jesus had provided them a free meal. No work, no cost, no commitment, and they were willing to follow, that, follow him if it meant that they got something out of it. Jesus knew that truth. And God sees that truth in Israel as well. They wanted to come and hear what Ezekiel had to say, but their intentions were not what they ought to be. 
The, tr the truth was that even though they were here, there to hear what Jesus had to say, there to hear what Ezekiel had to say, it was not creating a change in their lives. We talked about in Sunday school today, we're studying uh, 1 Thessalonians, and one of the things Paul points to about evidence of, of salvation and a renewed life in, these, these, uh, in this church in Thessalonica was the fact that there was change. And it was evident in who they were and what they said. The people that were chasing after Jesus were not looking for him because they wanted hope and they wanted a, a restored and renewed relationship with the Lord, nor were the exiles of Ezekiel looking for what they needed to do in order to restore their relationship with Yahweh, their God. God points to their behavior when they were not in the congregation listening to Ezekiel. I want to read verse 31 to you again. He says, They come to you as people come, and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. But what do they do? For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after gain. They were eager to listen to the prophet, but when they left, what they said and what they did revealed their true heart. There's an interesting phrase in here. I, I had to go back and really study it because translations kind of say it a little bit differently. Some of your translations, when you look at verse 31, it says that they flattered Ezekiel with their mouth. That they said, they said loving things towards him. Some of them say they spoke lustful things when they left. And they used their mouth to, to speak lustful and perverse things. And, and the reason there's a, a little bit of a difference between those two things is the same word that he talks about uh, of, of lustful things or, or they spoke flattering words or whatever it was is the same word used in a sensual song in verse 32. Whatever they were saying, whether it was to butter up Ezekiel to kind of hopefully influence his words or influence God, or whether just when they left they were saying lustful, um, um, wicked things outside of his presence, the reality was is both reveals that their hearts were not with God. Their hearts were all about themselves. This is one of those realities that we read about that we just flat out have to stop and apply to ourselves. It is too easy to listen to the behavior of the, of the exiles with Ezekiel or even look at what was happening with Jesus in John chapter 6 and want to apply that to our spouse or our neighbor or our children or somebody else. But the reality is we have to let this land on us. You, we all, everyone here, myself included, has to ask the question, who are you when you leave here? Who are you? Are you this, when you come in on a Sunday morning and you, you have your Bible studies and you talk about Jesus and you talk about the importance of serving the Lord and living for him and, and you say one thing when you're here, but then you go out the door and your mouth and your actions communicate a very different thing? Where your mouth is speaking lustful things, where your eyes are filled with television shows and movies and music that does not honor God, in fact honors and glorifies and promotes fleshly sinful activities. Do you seek to earnestly apply what you hear when you come to Bible studies and to the sermons in order to be more like God and to draw other people to be more like God? Or do you ignore what is said in order to pursue your own lusts and your own selfish desires? 
Who are you when you're not here? Our college group this last week started to discuss Matthew chapter 7 when it said, when Jesus said, I never knew you, depart from me. It's in verse 23. But just before Jesus said these words, he said, said this warning, he said these words. He said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. What is your fruit? Not even how much. We can set that aside for a second. Not how much fruit are you bearing. What is your fruit? What are you producing? What is the fruit of your life? If you're here today and you claim to be a Christian, that you come and you worship and you study, what is your fruit? Where is your fruit? When you leave here, are you one prone to gossip? To talk about people behind their back? To create division? And to pit this person against that person? When you leave here, are you prone to anger? And speak out words of, of hate and disdain? You belittle people with your, with your words, and if not with your words, worse yet, with your muscles and your fists? Is your fruit the lust of your heart? And when you leave here, you fire up a computer to look at things that you shouldn't look at. Or bring up your phone to stare at things you shouldn't stare at. Have conversations with people that do not honor God and that are taking you down the path of a relationship that you should have never gone on to begin with. What is your fruit? Are you drawing nearer to God? Are you more like God? Are you helping others to know what it means to follow Christ? What is your fruit? As we look at the passage, we may have to ask the question, why were they not making a change? I mean, I mean, honestly, for just a moment, you have a prophet. He has been telling you for a long time that, we need to, that you need to repent, that you need to get your life right back with God. You need to start being obedient to the laws and the commandments, that you need to start living for the Lord and just putting out and putting away this idolatrous worship and the, the other things that you're doing. And he's saying, listen, you need to make these changes. And, and even now, like everything he said has been confirmed by what's happened in Jerusalem. And yet still you are not making a change. The answer is once again revealed in the text. He says that they don't make any changes, that nothing seems to, to be, be changing or reforming. There's no repentance in their life. He says, but they come to you and sit before you. Because you are like you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. God tells Ezekiel that his words are like an emotional song, strung, sung and played very well. To the people, to the exiles around Ezekiel, he is just a person that is killing them softly with his words, strumming their pain with his fingers, singing their life with his words, killing them softly with his song. They went to him for entertainment. But when they left, nothing changed. 
just like you might go to a concert or a movie. You leave happy, you've been entertained, but you still go back to life as normal. Think about it for just a moment. You don't go to a movie and then suddenly decide that you're going to jump on a rocket ship to go save the world. Nor do you listen to a song and decide that it's time for, that you're going, it's time for you to take a midnight train going anywhere. Often when we listen to music, when we watch movies, we recognize that these are just for entertainment purpose. Yes, they might produce an emotion in the moment, but more often than not, that fades with the next song that comes on your phone or your radio. We need to be careful that church does not just become a source of entertainment for us. And that pastors don't become stand-up comics and motivational speakers. And worship leaders don't just become stars or contestants on America's Got Talent. This is what I, I need you to understand from the text today. So if you're writing something down, please write this down. You are not consumers. You are not here taking in worship like it is a good or service. Tunnel Hill Baptist Church's worship on Sunday morning is not a product that you sample. Membership in this church is not a membership to Costco or to Sam's that you pay for so that you get the benefits from it. You are a participant in the act of worship that should bear fruit in the rest of your life. Think about that for just a second. You are not my audience. You are not Joe or Philip and Mary Joe's or Josh's or anybody else's audience. You are fellow participants in the worship of the Most High God. You are here to be a part of the worship, not to sit and to watch worship. And the purpose of your participation in the act of worship that we do this morning is so that you might bear fruit in all the other areas and places in your life. It is good that you bear fruit in the church building. That's a good thing. We want you to grow in your faith. We want you to grow in your knowledge. We want you to serve inside the church building. But we want our worship to ring out into our community and indeed to the ends of the earth by how you and I behave when we leave here. People should see a change in us because of our time together and our time in the Word. This is why in Hebrews 10, verse 24, in the midst of all of this talk and instruction about the church gathered, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. Think about that for just a second. He is saying, listen, we need to still come together. We need to come to church. We need to worship together. We need to be in Bible study together. We need to be discipling one another, encouraging one another, and doing all those things. But we're doing that not just for the simple sake of being encouraged, but that so that we might go out and love a lost world and do good in that world so that they might come to know Christ. That's the change that we're, that we're going after. So what is it that, that this, this, these exiles in Israel were missing? If we remember, if we go all the way back to the beginning, I said that, that, that we're, we wanted to answer the question, why, what does the church have that the world doesn't have? 
What does the church offer that the world cannot offer? What was it that, that, that Ezekiel had that the people of the exiles, the people of Israel who were with him were missing entirely? Here is the answer. You ready? Here is the answer. The people did not recognize that Ezekiel was giving to them the very word of God. Look again at verse 33 at the very end. He says, when it all comes to pass, and as it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. God is telling Ezekiel that eventually the people around him will realize that Ezekiel was actually delivering them, delivering to them the message from God himself, the creator of them and indeed of all creation, the one sovereign over Israel and Jerusalem and Babylon and Greece and the United States of America and Ukraine and Russia. What does the church have that the world does not have? What does the church offer to people that the world cannot even remotely hope to offer? And that is this. It is the word of God. You can search high and you can search low. You can go to every counselor, TED Talk speaker, musician, all the people all over the world. And they cannot give you the words of your God in heaven. You find that only when you come with the church gathered and you open up this. If a person in all earnestness said, why should I go to church? We ought to answer because it is the only place that you are going to hear the word of God. It is the word of light and life, purpose and meaning, and the truth by which you can be saved from your sins and restored to a right relationship with God. This is the God who knows you, who loves you, and who has given himself up for you. Now make no mistake, when I say church, I'm not just talking about this building. Please do not think for a moment that I am so arrogant as to think that the only place you could possibly get into the word of God is in this building. When I think of the church, why do I go to church? I'm thinking about you. What do you have to offer people in this world that no one else has to offer? And it's found in that book. And there'll be people that may actually do that and say, well, what is this? You know, you're a Christian. You claim to do all this stuff. What is it all about? And you can say, we have the words of life. And you can share that with people in a coffee house, in a Bible study, in a home group. You can share that on the street and in, in whatever situation it is. Yes, you should and you can hear the word of God in this building at this time, 11 o'clock every Sunday. Absolutely, that is true. And if someone was saying, what on earth, why on earth would I come to your church at 11 o'clock? You could say, because in there we are going to be getting into the word of God. You can have an encounter with God through his word. That is 100% true. But don't miss it. It is not about the songs. It is not about the speaking. It is not about the pomp and the circumstance. It is not about any of those things. If you want to see your life changed, then don't miss that God is speaking to you through his word. 
make no mistake, in the world, you can find traditions. We have them. Everybody knows you have traditions in your home. You want to see a group of people start fighting? Start asking them whether you open up presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Ask them whether you have to have a real tree or a fake tree. Do you put an angel on your tree or a star on your tree? Or are you one of those weird people that just put sparkly bits on top of your tree? We all have traditions. The world has traditions. The world has relationships. My best friend since first grade is still my best friend. We don't even live in the same state. People who have never heard the gospel know what it means to have friends and relationships. Some of them have marriages that are strong and encouraging. The world has entertainment. The world can sing songs. Maybe not better than we can, but they're pretty good. The world can, can do their, their own versions of sermons. We see them when we, we open up YouTube and we've got people from all manners of life, psychologists and whatnot, that, are, that can talk for 30 minutes to hours about whatever topic, and people will come to hear them. The world has good vibes. Sending out good vibes. Hey, big interview today. Send good, send good thoughts my way. The world has those things. But here, among the church gathered, here you find life. You find hope. You find the truth. You find purpose. And you find salvation. And you find it through the very words of God. Don't miss it. Because it can change everything. If you're with us today and you are looking for some hope, some truth, some purpose, or, or you're looking for salvation, if you're looking for a life that is going to be changed, if you have been looking in the world for all of the things that the world cannot possibly hope to give you and you have been left frustrated and tired and alone, this is what we have to offer you today. We offer you the very words of God. And Jesus himself said that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Actually, let me tell you what Jesus said. He said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Paul said... If you'll confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you're looking for hope and change and salvation, it can only be found in Jesus Christ. And we invite you to have a relationship with him today. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we recognize, even by what we, we read in Ezekiel, that, that this is the one thing that we have that, that the world cannot possibly hope to offer. And God, that we have it in Christ. Father God, I pray that we, who are the people here week in and week out, uh, that we don't lose sight of that, that we don't forget that. In the midst of songs and speeches and, 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 and laughter and, and, and at programs, 
Father God, it is my hope and my prayer that we would also recognize that as we gather, that we speak to the Word. We sing the Word as we have this morning. We open up the Word to understand it. God, Your Word is all over this place. Lord, help us to not miss it. And Lord, in in seeing it, that it might transform our lives to be more like You. God, I know that there are people here this morning that that maybe have never even heard this word, have never surrendered their lives to Christ. They have never uh, just handed themselves over to you. They haven't believed your word and been transformed by it. And God, I pray that today is the day. And Lord, whether that means that they come up and have a conversation with me or that they head over and, and, and eat a plate of spaghetti and have that conversation with the people that they came with, Lord, I pray that they do not leave this property today without a new life in Christ. There's one more thing, Lord, that I think about that the world cannot possibly hope to offer us and yet you, that you give freely, and that is eternity with you. So, God, I pray that eternity will start for some today as they surrender their life to you, knowing that they will get to enjoy your company and your presence forever. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.